When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for Thursday, February 8, 2024. This is Gigi Hawkins. I'm here with... Jason Hellerman. Good morning. Good morning. We're waking up together. We're sipping our coffee. Sometimes we record the podcast early. And listeners, I just heard the most shocking news. Am I allowed to say this on the <laughs> podcast? Go Say away, yeah. Jason is a twin. A t- I'm a twin. There's two of me out there. There's yeah. two. And... and you know, I've known you for, I guess, a year and a year now. Yeah. We've been talking <laughs> every week at least once. And, you know, I aming, I aming, G yeah, chatting, G chatting, texting. Yeah, yeah. You've read yeah. so many outlines and drafts <laughs> of my script, and I didn't know you were a twin. And that is a twist. That is a twist I didn't see coming this morning, which brings us to today's guest. We have Matthew Vaughn, the director of Argyle, The Kingsman, a million other things. And and he is, I'd say, master of twists. Would you say? Absolutely. Um, yeah, totally. So we had him on. We spoke last week in preparation of the film's release. And as you'll see by the title of this episode, which if you didn't see it, it is Indecision is Death. Uh, Matthew it was just a joy to speak with. He took us through his very early days, his no film school days. He he came to the conclusion that this was an outlet that would appreciate this story. And we really got into a, a ton of details about his process, about his journey. Then he started giving me advice on what we should name our the movie that I'm working on. And then his PR person chimed in. It was this magical conversation. And he was such a pleasure to work with. And I think my biggest takeaway from the conversation or something that I would encourage our listeners to be listening for as, as we go into it is that being a kind, lovely person gets you so far in life in this industry. I just loved his stories. I loved talking to him. He made me feel really comfortable. And I was just, I'm just, I'm, I came out of it like grinning ear to ear. And I was like, what a nice guy. Yeah. And I think we've, we've touched about this on the podcast before, but in the business where it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to make film and TV, right? Which is the, the business he's in, making blockbuster movies, Argyle most certainly a blockbuster. Many of the other titles you mentioned, blockbuster. I think all the ones you mentioned are blockbusters. I'd have to like really dig deep and be like, what's the last, you know, not over a hundred million dollar movie he worked on. But you have to, you're spending a lot of time with these people, right? It's like you're on set, you're in prep. This stuff takes years to accomplish. So you, you want to work with someone you want to be around with a long time. It's, it's like this podcast, Gigi. We wouldn't, uh, if we all didn't like each other. We probably wouldn't want to tune in every, but you know, that's on the macro level. Just you're with someone day to day for months, you know, even shooting. I don't know how long the shoot with, for this was, but it, I guarantee it was months. It's months in a row. Yeah. Then you're in prep before, then you're in post after. Try to live your life like someone people want to be around because at the end of the day, that's really what's going to A, shine through and B, 
what'll get people coming back for more, especially if you have a big idea or a big screenplay like Argyle, you know, who are they going to put on it? You're going to put on the person that you want to be around for the longest and obviously talent and, you know, time management and all that other stuff matters. But at the end of the day, I do think that's sort of what shines through. Yeah. And honestly, it's what shines through on the screen too. It looks like every, like when I watched Argyle, remember my wife like leaned over to me. She's everyone's having a lot of fun. And I was like, yeah, this is a fun movie. Every, you know, you could tell the actors are having a good time you know, whether they're on the green screen or, you know, rushing through a foreign city or whatever. It felt like there's like a palpable appeal. And I always think movies with twists, right, that are this tone, right? Action comedy, I guess, is where I would classify it. It's almost like the wink and a nod every time mm-hmm. they would twist. You know, you kind of, kind of feel like the the shine in, in the eyes of Sam Rockwell as he could deliver some exposition or, yeah. you know, Samuel L. Jackson or whatever. I think there's some some fun rug pull moments that, really come from a a keen understanding of the genre and be someone who what just wants the audience to have a blast while they're seated watching this. Can I ask a Sam Rockwell question? Yeah. So just statement, Sam Rockwell rules. <laughs> I think we all know <laughs> that. But this feels like the kind of the most shiny blockbustery movie that he's been in. Of course he's in, you know, Wes Anderson films and three billboards outside of I'm yeah, blanking. Ebbing, Missouri, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I got you, yeah. The coffee is still kicking in. But <laughs> it was so fun to see him in this type of role, in this, again, shiny blockbuster franchisee film, and just kind of going against type within the role. Yeah. And it was, it was just like such a fun, fresh take. And I really just enjoyed his performance. And I think that he was the through line that like I was like, you know, sometimes... I, I think people, you you show up and you're like, you know, if you're watching Scooby-Doo, you're you're here for Freddie or Daphne or Velma. Yes. You you, you kind of, especially like in this action mystery comedy thing, it's like, who's your person? Sam Rockwell was like the person that I was there for. Yeah, what an incredible career he's had. I mean, I, you know, I think, I remember the first time seeing him, The Green Mile. He is, in, in, you know, amazing in that movie. And I feel like that was his real breakout hit, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I think of like blockbuster things he's done. He was, a hitman in an indie movie called Mr. Right that he did with Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick, I never know how they want to pronounce, but Ms. Kendrick, you're a great actress too. I think like sneakily for me, Bryce Dallas Howard, who sort of plays the straight man in this, she's become like the sneaky blockbuster queen, right? Yes. She's all the Jurassic Park, you know, whatever you want to call it, like second gen Jurassic World trilogy. And then this, you know, I think is obviously a huge movie. She she knows what movie she's in. Mm-hmm. I think always. Like I, I said that from the first Jurassic Park. Oh, you know who you are and what you want to be in this. And I always applaud actors who can make those choices. Uh, and I think in this, she's got, you know, the burden to bear where like she's got to be the plucky author and she has to arc and there's all sorts of other things going on. So yeah, those aren't like super easy things, but I, I do think fun to watch. And she just has a good on-screen presence, I think running around doing things again like serves as sort of a mirror for the audience in terms of reactions Mm -hmm. so it's like you knew how to feel just watching her in any scene very fun yeah and 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 it's good direction right it is truly yeah and we won't give anything away because it's worth staying for staying for the twists but her her performance in the second half like it's really nuanced and you know to be able to walk that line, I think, is it's it's fun when an actor can pull it off. And I had a blast. Absolutely. Yeah, I think 
at the end of the day, when you're crafting a story like this and sitting down, you know, the screenplay was written by Jason Fuchs, who's, you know, a huge Hollywood A-list writer. and Also a twin. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. Is he? I, I was just making that up. No. No, uh, the only other twin that I know that's a writer is Noah Hawley, who did who does Fargo, and Alexi Hawley, his, his twin brother, does like The Rookie and a bunch of other TV oh, shows. Twin so. writers, wow, yeah, fascinating. Is your twin a screenwriter? He's not. He's in like software development, okay, okay. and he's like he's the CEO code. of a tech company. Yeah, very. Uh, yeah, he's writing code. But you know, when you're laying this stuff down, obviously, like the twist is important. Sometimes, at least for me as a writer, it's the the first thing I think of, right? I'm like, okay, if I need to get to this point, where do I go? And this movie has so many twists that I think they kind of serve as like really nice beats of the story as you go through. Oh, this is the first act break, but also a twist. This is the midpoint, but also a twist. This is, you know, whatever. Like the low point, but also a twist. Like I think a really fun deconstruction. You really have to love a genre to be able to play with it this much. I think that love is palpable with everybody working on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we jump into the interview with Matthew, you mentioned that you have an article coming out publishing on Tuesday about the budget of the village. Yeah, so M. Night Shyamalan's village, recently the budget Speaking got of posted, twists. like the full, yeah, the, yeah, twist. The full budget got posted on Reddit and we're going to do an article which will be up by the time you hear this podcast about it. What I love about blockbuster filmmaking is the question of always like, where did the money go? And, you know, even before we started recording, we talked about what we liked on screen and what looked expensive and blah, blah. And, and I think just being able to check out the line notes of something and look, the village came out in the early 2000s. I think the budget was around 75 million. So you could kind of, with inflation, double that. So like feels like 150 now. So what did they spend it on? Well, they spent it on building a village. They spent it on the cast. Uh, it was cool seeing Shyamalan take a haircut in terms of the cash that he got paid. Look, and again, the numbers are high, right? He got paid like 500 grand to direct his own movie. But not that much in a $75 million thing, you know, also on that. So obviously he's taking a producing credit and some back end. Just fun to see where the money stretches out because as we get deeper into our careers and you work on higher budget things, you want to make sure, you know, like, where is the money going? What, mm-hmm. what, what is being spent where? There's all these conversations. And that for me was just a real education scrolling through, seeing what they spent money on. And also look, you know, as people breaking in, who's spending money where, you know, mm-hmm. what, what act, where are they putting the most cash into, you know, are there lessons we learned from that? So definitely check it out on the website if you want to see where money goes with Blockbuster Filmmaking and absolutely check out Argyle as well. Do you know what I would love? And I don't think that no film school has the resources to produce this, but an interactive infograph that takes the budget and the script and breaks it down and oh, lets yeah. you see like how money is spent by act, how money is spent by department, and something like that. That would be amazing. So we have, I'm literally typing it in now. We have a like an I think an Avengers Endgame budget breakdown thing. I'll have to figure out where that is and we'll link it in this article. But it was like a blockbuster, like a superhero movie budget breakdown that I think was a really informative when we posted a couple of years ago. Awesome. One last thing for our listeners, this Saturday, and we'll put a link to this in the bio on February 10th at 10 a.m. PST, a friend of a friend is hosting a workshop called Introduction to Intimacy for Film, TV, and Theater, where we'll, you'll learn what an intimacy coordinator and an intimacy director does 
how to work with one and when to hire one. It's an hour long workshop and it feels like a, you know, film school or not. If you are doing producing, directing, even writing, I'd recommend doing this. I was speaking with uh, a woman who is doing intimacy coordination and I was like, oh my God, what you're doing is just like fight coordination. It needs to be that technical. And, and it's something that I think if you're going into any type of these conversations, you'll want to be briefed on this. So I'll put a link. It's hosted by an intimacy coordinator named Jamie Monahan, and it costs 20 bucks plus the Eventbrite fee. So check that out. And now our interview with Matthew Vaughn. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. It's so nice to have you here and congratulations on the film. Great. No Film School podcast. So No Film School means this is for people who didn't go to film school. Exactly. Exactly. Did you go to film uh, school? No. Okay. How did you get your start as a filmmaker? How did I get my start as a filmmaker? I, I, I well, I, I, getting into the film business or as a filmmaker is probably two different questions. Filmmaker. I'd say filmmaker. Well, I'd say as a filmmaker, I was, um, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll talk, yeah, the creative, when I was about 19, 20, um, I, I was a busboy in, in the Hard Rock Cafe in Los Angeles, and I found out that everybody else was an aspiring writer, director, mainly actors, actually, as well, and actresses. And that put the seed of, oh, I could actually maybe work in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the movie industry. I chose to be a producer because I was told it, you didn't have to have any qualifications apart from the art of bullshitting. And I thought I could definitely have a go at that. Uh-huh. And then I, so I was in LA and I tried to get jobs in LA and I got like internships. And you know, basically my, my, my experience with the film business in LA was I was, photo, this is a long time ago now, it's like th- over 30 years. And I was just photo. We, back then, we had to photocopy scripts and de- and deliver them. And there was no Google Maps or anything. And LA is a big place when you have. And so I spent most of my day photocopying, delivering scripts, photocopying more scripts, delivering them, photocopying notes, delivering. The, and so what I did was I always made an extra copy. I shouldn't have. I can admit to it now, but I'd always make an extra copy of whatever script I was delivering and. And I started reading them and just reading. And I so I read a lot. I think I was reading 20 scripts, 25 scripts a week. Wow. Uh, that is film school. That feels like such a... It, yeah. And it was astonishing how bad they were. And then I, then I started reading the coverage. And the coverage was pretty dire as well. I was like, and, you know, my strongest subject at school is English literature. So I understood, you know, reading a piece of prose, analyzing it, whether it was condensing it into a shorter version of what, what the story of you know, analy- or, or analyzing what was good or what was bad or what it can, all the you know the stuff that I thought everybody 
I assumed in the movie business was capable of doing. And I, so one day, uh, you know, I was like making coffees for the for the, the development meeting in this company as the intern, and I, and I made the mistake of saying, "Oh, well, I don't agree with those notes to someone," and that went down like a lead balloon. Because, but the producer did take me to one side, and he said, and he read my notes, said, "Oh, that's pretty good," and he, he was also kind enough saying, "Well, maybe you should think about being a thing called a CE, which is a creative executive." Sort of quite a paradox of a term. And so I went from, from that to meetings, trying to become a CE at studios. And it was, and, and it was an odd, it was odd because I, they, what they do is they give you two scripts as a test and you have to analyze, but, you know, do coverage mm-hmm. of both and hand them in. And one script I read, it was so bad that I just officially wrote one line saying, this script is so bad, I, you shouldn't waste your time <laughs> thinking about it. And uh-huh. I should wasting my time writing an analysis of why it's bad. It is just bad. Throw it in the bin. I didn't realize this was meant to be the good script. (laughs) Both scripts were bad, but this was... And then the executive was like, what do you think you know? Anyway, let's put it this way. The movie never got made. And I can remember it so well. And it was just sort of astonished me that I was like, I was stumbling around, but realizing the people I thought that knew what they were doing didn't. And then I met a senior executive is now a very big producer as well. And I said to him, and he took sat me to, he said to me, look, you've obviously got some talent and instinct for this, but you know, you're in the town where the world is full of everyone trying to do it. Go mm-hmm. back to England. If you go back to England, you will I could try and become a big fish in a smaller pond. There's less competition. And I was at that point desperately missing England as well, and my friends. And, and so I went back to England and Wrote a screenplay as well. So I'd say to people, again, I, I, well, after reading scripts that were badly written and seeing how much these badly written scripts writers got paid, I was like, mm-hmm. hey, I might as well start. I might as well write a script. script. So I, wrote, I did write my first screenplay as about 20 that, at this time, 19, 20. Um, and I went back to England, wrote, wrote the script, but also didn't realize that there was no movies being made in England. I think four movies were made, being made when I went back. There was no film mm-hmm. industry. But then I started just working for free on short movies. That was the only in student movies, and I would and I did everything from a grip to an assistant to you name it, whatever mm-hmm. job was going, all unpaid. Um, but at least I was around people that wanted to make movies. And then I was incredibly lucky that I was at twenty two. I met someone. This is where luck comes into it, and I did meet somebody in it who on one of these short films who had money to make a movie. Mm-hmm. So we, made a, we actually made a very small indie. Wow. I produced it. Didn't really know what I was doing. I was learning on the job, but mm-hmm. uh, directed likewise. But what I, but I, and I didn't really li- think the script was any good, but it was an opportunity. And, but when that movie was made, and after all the hard work, I realized from that point, I would never, ever, ever make a, make a movie that I didn't love and believe in the screenplay. And I learned yeah. how important, really how important. I'd, you know, it's been all about scripts, but I'd never seen how they were made. Then we made mm-hmm. a movie. And everything that I thought was wrong in the script turned out to be wrong in the movie. So it was, yeah. uh, and that's when I decided I'd never, you know, and then I, then I spent two years trying to find a project to make. And then I found Lockstock and Two Smoking mm-hmm. Barrels. And then I went, oh, this is a script that uh, could, could, could be brilliant. And... Then Guy and I went off and made it, and and then that became 
I'd say my second, you know, my, my, my second, what I call non-film school, film school moment of making a movie and we broke every rule. Like, you know, we shot it on Super 16 because we couldn't mm-hmm. afford five mil. We basically shot 90% of it on a steady cam and we had non-actors and actors and it was all, you know, it was, it was, a, it was like a little, it was like a bunch of people determined to have a career in the film industry. Yeah. And then we made Snatch and every, you know, everything sort of, uh, I mean, our lives changed forever, full stop. Yeah. But, you know, and I learned so much from Guy. Guy demystified a lot of the directing process for me and, and things that Guy were, were, was, was not as interested in. I was and like, you know, I, I'm very much about, Guy's very, he's an effortless director. I have to prep more and I, and I do a lot more posts and I'm very in every day. And Guy, mm-hmm. Guy, Guy's pretty unique in the sense that he, puts a team around him and he trusts them and he and he sort of he's like he's like the master chef and he has a lot of sous chefs. Yeah. I I I don't really have any sous chefs. I just like to do the cooking myself. And and then we went but then I still was a producer and then when Guy decided not to make layer cake, he was going to direct it. That's would be my no I'd say chapter three of my no film school school to no film school film education, let's say. Yeah. Self taught. And then I yeah, I decided to direct a film with Claire Cake. And I really didn't know how to direct, but I'd been around it so much that by osmosis, I was ready to try and flex the muscles. And what that's was that where... conversation? Was, was it a conversation where you just raised your hand and said, I think I can do this? Or did you have to pitch yourself? How did no, you no, make the con- that transition? Uh, so yeah, it, the transition was sort of out of desperation because Guy was meant to direct it. So, we'd, so we'd, it's easy to raise the money. Suddenly I had no yeah. director. We and my, my wife was the one who said to me, "You should have a go directing." And I thought she was crazy, but in like, I thought this is a blind love, not <laughs> logic. But then, what swung the pendulum was I then went to the meeting and I hadn't told because I'd come back from you know the meeting with Guy and I was like freaking out and my wife was calming me down and I said, "How am I going to find a director?" And she said, "Well, you should do it." And I thought, yeah, "Okay, that's sweet, but not the solution we're looking for right now." And then I went out, went to my office to see J.J. Connolly, who wrote the book and the screenplay. And I said, look, I've got really bad news. Guy's not going to direct it. And he just was literally off the bat went, it's not that bad news because I think you should direct it. Wow. And I was talking about it. And he says, you have been with me every day working on the script. You know this project inside out. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, this guy had never been on a movie set. So it was the blindly <laughs> blind with that decision. But weirdly to hear it within an hour or two hours, wherever it was, that was when the, the seed started. And then I was like, well, maybe I should go, go direct a short film just to make sure I'm not making a total fool of myself. So I wrote a short very quickly, but it, the budget of the short came in at a million dollars. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe I've made a mistake. And then I was like, well, for just over three, I could make a, I could make the movie, or a million, make a short, and never see that money again. So I went, okay, let's do it. So then, that became the moment I, I became a director. It's, it's so interesting that you're able to distill it down to a single moment. I feel like most people have this sort of like long trajectory of trying to get specifically to directing, but you're like, oh no, it was literally this second in time where I was like, okay, I'm. Very- I'm now a director. On I that, was, though, not I'm now a director. 
I'm not going to try and be a director. Try and be a director. There's a, a huge difference to, 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 to that. I mean, I, because literally I'd say I, Kingsman, first Kingsman was the first time I generally thought maybe I am a film director. I think wow. all other movies was, was me learning and trying to figure it out. Wow. So it has been a constant film education. Still is. Yeah. Well, every well, movie you, you every learn, movie. every movie you learn something new. Yeah. I, I was going to ask about specifically the learning from first first feature to second feature because that is, you know, you don't know what you don't know when you're making your first feature, but then going into the second one, in this case, layer cake, you know, you 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 know enough to know that there's going to be this sort of massive unknown. But I think this actually is a question that applies to any film because each time you are making a movie, it is its own its own world, its own beast, its own monster. So what is your process of, you know, preparing for each particular film and the demands of each film? And I do have some specific questions about Argyle, but I'm curious if you have sort of like that early development process of how you're going to approach each particular project. Again, it comes down to the script. So the first rule I work, like Argyle, I think, when, when we from the first draft to proper pre-production, I think we've done fourteen rewrites. Mm-hmm. We were just tweaking and tweaking and 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 just getting it so that I felt comfortable that every decision was about how to make the movie, not how to get the script better. <laughs> or and so I always say to people, if you want to make a, have a chance of making a really good movie, get the screenplay right. Then, as a director, I, I go through the screenplay and shot. I shot list the, I, every scene. I do a shot list, not even storyboarding, because then the storyboard is, is is the shot list. I, you know, just so anyone can understand it. And you know, you, I mean, you don't have to do you know over the shoulder, you know, just over the shoulder and stuff. But what I really try to do is, I always imagine. I think it's really important. Every scene, the transition to the next scene. And I do a, a I do a grid as well, so you're feeling the rhythm, you know, of, of each mm. each character, so you don't get lost. Because when you go on the set, that plan, and then you have to prep the movie, you know, and proper proper prep and make decisions. So my other other tip to a director is, indecision is death. Bad decisions can be fixed. No decision can't be. And I always say. Um, well, for me, and I try, and I notice, you know, when I, when I arrive on the set, this movie is so in my head, up, down. I, I've got the plan. I know the scenes. I know it all, because there's going to be a moment when it's no longer in my head because you're so exhausted. Everything's gone wrong, mm-hmm. and having the instinct and the muscle memory of that prep, it gets you through those moments when it can be, especially when you're doing the big movies and you've got four units shooting and stuff. There's a moment where you 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 your 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 tank is empty and you are mm-hmm. not even on fumes anymore. But then suddenly the muscle memory kicks in and you can still keep going. How do you maintain that stamina over such a length of time and and keep motivating those around you? Because as you know, as the leader of the set, it sounds like the muscle memory kicks in. But do you have any? tactics for maintaining like that you don't burn out? Um, yeah, I mean, what I do, it, it, it's funny. 
It's a, big, it's a good question right now. I'm getting older as well, so energy levels are harder. So my first thing, stay calm. You, you know, I've seen some directors, they lose, you know, and they freak out, and everyone's shouting and stuff. It, stay calm because it trickles down from the top. Even I mean, there are moments when I'm seeing disasters, and I'm just like, take a breath, deep breath, make it look like everything's okay. But and let's put it this way: normally, for I'm normally in bed for nearly literally a week and sick two days after the wrap of any movie. Uh-huh. I just, so adrenaline, passion, determination, tenacity. It goes that it, it, it gets gets you keeps you going, but it sounds it sounds really terrible. But everyone laughs because they always look at me and they're like, "When is the Maltesers and the Minstrels, which is candy and tea and coffee, gets ridiculous?" And I try to hold off on it for about four weeks, about mm-hmm. the fifth sixth week, and then, I, and then I and then I just eat junk food. It sounds crazy, like it's bacon sandwiches, it's it's carbs, it's sugar, everything, and and it keeps me going. And yeah. it absolutely just keeps me going. And then, and, and then use, if you do get a day off, just sleep if you can. Mm-hmm. But ironically, what I started finding is I was finding six day weeks less tiring than five day weeks because the second day off, you made you realize how n- truly tired you are. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like, you know, when, when you're in the zone, you're in the zone. But as soon as you come out of it, you're like, oh my God, everything hurts. And yeah. So I'm one of the few people that quite quite like six day weeks because it's just give me a day off to sleep. Let's get going because that's yeah, it's tough and avoid night shoots. Night shoots, night shoots are really tough. Really yeah. proper night shoots when you're starting at five in the afternoon and finishing at five in the morning, and then body clock. I, that, that, that night shoots. I try. I try. I you know. I I now insist try and insist on split days because at least mm. you've got a chance, especially yeah. night shoots when you have kids because that'd be the worst thing. You'd, Started, you know, you come home at six thirty, and the kids are waking up, and you're like, "Whoa!" Oh my gosh! And they do not care. They don't care. They don't care. Yeah, I, I'm curious to hear about specifically working your transitions in post production, and also maintaining stamina in post production. Because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the transitions in in all in all of your work are so thought through. Do you ever find yourself or? cutting a scene and having to sort of figure out a new transition. And then as you're in that post phase, are you have you taken a time off before getting there so you can come in with a clear thing? Or do you have the bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich in your hand? I Well, the transitions, I said, 95% of them are done in... in I do them in when I'm reading the script. Right, right. right. So that, And then... And you're you're right. Then you have to start cutting the, the movie down for length. And then you're in in the first thing, we go, oh, get rid of those lovely transitions because you know it's, it's, they look great, but they can be five, ten seconds or sometimes. And and so then I'm fighting to keep some. Then I lose others. And then sometimes, as you say, you cut a scene out so that you can't transition to a scene that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So then we say, is there a way of? So sometimes we'll come up with a new transition. Other times, you go, hey, you know. As much as I love transitions, transitions. No one goes to the cinema to see a transition, but you know it's a subconscious. It's, I think you 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 enjoy them without realizing. But yeah, um, it's this um, vehicle that carries you through. Yeah, and then on the edit, I it's it's funny. I've tried both ways. You go and I've tried one once, saying I'll just go on holiday and let everyone do their stuff, and I'll come back. But I didn't relax on the holiday. I was just ringing every day. Send me something. How's it going? So. 
what I do now is I say to the editor, look, you've got as much time as you need to do a full assembly, which is, which, you know, like, with, but with, with, with music on it and right. slightly polished up. So which normally takes them between three, four days to 10 days, depending on how much footage we shot in the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. And then I, wa- then I watch it and um, it is the scariest. Everyone says, what's the scariest for me the mo- moment of making a movie? Uh-huh. Watching that first assembly. Because it, it's just, it, 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 sometimes you think, oh my God, this is terrible. Or, or you think, oh, this could be good. Whatever it is, but you just look at it and go, my God, we've got a lot of work to do mm-hmm. to make this, make this work. Wow. The listeners have been with me on my journey. I am in post on my first feature and I'm very close to getting to picture lock and I'm so tired. <laughs> and, uh, yes. and, and so what do you do when you finish? Like how when do you say you close to, what's, why are you close to picture lock? We're picture locking on Friday. Today's Wednesday. But what have you so, done to make you think you're ready? We have a deadline. We ha- we cannot pay our editor after a certain date. The, here's the here's the inside scoop. I am locking the last four reels of the movie, and I'm going to continue to work on the first act. And it's a soft lock, so it becomes it. We reach a certain milestone, but well, I don't I'm know. I mean, you, you tell some, me. Please. I'll give you some, well, I'm going to give you some depressing news. Tell me. Once you got the first act sorted, you're going to be recutting the next four reels again. Otherwise, yeah. the four reels, the first act's not doing what it's meant to do. Yeah. What, I, you know, what I tend to do is for, it, it, you get you have to get the first act right, and sort of the third, the first act and the third act are always wed together. And the middle yeah. act, I find the middle act tough. Not the, not the the first and the last, not so much. So uh, yeah, keep an eye on that first act. Very important. Uh, it's the the thing that's the I guess it's the best problem to have, but we feel that the third act is the strongest. And so now we're like, how do we make act one more like, how does, how is it a reflection of? So we'll see. So I guess, when do you know when you're done? Like, when do you walk away? After test screenings, and there's a moment where you sat, you sit in the, sit in the, in the theater and you don't even need to look at scores and stuff. You just sit there and you know, you can just feel whether it's working or not. And then, you, yeah. then, then it's, that's done. This is sort of a segue, but one of the things that I loved reading about was your passion about the the brand and of the movie and the feel of the movie. You know, Kingsman is a much more like classic, clean cut, but you know, very specific brand. Argyle has this very fun world that we're in, and I'm seeing it pop up on my Pinterest, and and I'm like, oh, this totally makes sense. This feels right. like this. It has this aesthetic, and this is not something that we talk about a lot on the No Film School podcast. How do you encourage filmmakers to be thinking about that, about the aesthetic and brand of the film early on? Well, it depends on what type of movie you're making. So, you know, I'm in a different stage in my career where I'm about launch, trying to launch businesses around the movies. Walt Disney was a total hero of mine, and what he did was, you know, building a, a industry around content. I hate using the word content, but film and and how music and film and and TV and theme park rides, clothing, you name it, it all came together. So, 
And now the world's become obsessed with brands and all that. So, but I've been obsessed with them for a long, long time. So for me, you know, I do think about, I mean, I have other movies that we're, we're going to make, which it isn't about branding and it's just the movie, which is fine as well. But it is a lot of work. If you're, if you're in the business of the movie business of making movies, you know, the money and the work you put into a film, if it can spawn other industries and other, other income, income, then it's worth doing. Compared mm-hmm. to some movies, you make a fantastic film, which is great, and I've got no problem with that, and and a worthy thing to do. But after you made the movie, that's it, and then that's yeah. it. So, um, which is great. So, like Layer Cake, that had zero aspirations apart from anything from making try and make as good film as possible, become a director, and then hopefully I get hired, do another film, which is mm-hmm. a. a Really great directors should be the only thing they're thinking about. But as I started off as a producer financier, I can't turn that side of my brain totally off. So, yeah. And the branding side, it's, you should, there should be a, a, you know, whether it's the title, the title is a branding side. You know, what you call a movie is, a, is that's, that is a piece of branding, full stop. Yeah. So when you make, what's your film called? We are deciding on a name because the name that we Just give me the name. Just say the, the name. The what name was called? the uh, name yeah, was okay. an island. An island. We shot it on an island in Panama, and it's like a white lotusy uh, yeah. film. Uh, but an island, not searchable on Google, doesn't really tell you what the film is about. So we're deciding between a couple of others, including a delayed honeymoon, island of pause, the honeymoon package, which feels too broad for me. Um, honeymoon package sounds like a comedy. It's a darker, it's like a dramedy. So I don't know if Honeymoon Package works. And Secret Island has, has also been thrown around. You think of the Secret Island of Nim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know. I, a delayed honeymoon, it like tells me that a honeymoon, there's something wrong in the relationship. Something's not aligned. But I don't know. I, we, are, we are all <laughs> open for advice. Well, but you're go- that, so we're now having a branding conversation. Exactly. Uh, and so you're so every filmmaker should think, you know, the title is is the brand immediately. And mm-hmm. but some movies need need it more than than I mean, like I can tell you about this lady just came in, but uh, who might start laughing, but when we made Snatch, mm-hmm. the first um it took us forever to come up with that title to Sky and I. We, it was first it was called Diamonds and it was called I mean uh, thousands of different titles, and then one day we, we said snatch and because it was all about snatching things. And then we went, oh, of course, there's another connotation to that word which we hadn't thought of. And so we said to the studio, we're going to call it snatch. And they freaked out and they were literally mm. wanted to, I'll never forget this, hard candy. And we were looking at them going, no. And luckily <laughs> we had final say, but you put snatch everywhere and there was, and, and you know. People were like, it, I got to watch it, this. And it, but, it, but it did sum up the movie. But there are times where you get a movie title wrong, you know, wrong for the audience. True Romance is the best example of that. That that movie came out, and lots of old grannies went thinking they're seeing, going to see a beautiful romantic movie, and we're like, "This isn't working." (laughs) Yeah. So the titles are, you know, we're going through this with Argyle at the moment. Some people are saying that the title of Argyle is is confusing, and I'm like. Okay, well, it's, it's. What do you think of the title of Argyle? Actually, let me ask you. What does Argyle say to you? Argyle says to me, and the branding has been all over my Silver Lake neighborhood. Argyle says to me, like a I, I think 
hate Silver Lake. Oh, uh, no. And I'll tell you why. I've never been, but when I was a runner, right, I just remember oh. at, at 11.45 when I said I was delivering scripts, the, 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 my boss at the time said, you need to deliver the script to a place called Silver Lake. And I'm sitting there, not knowing where it is, and that you yeah, used to have these maps that were got, I mean, I mean thickest. <laughs> I can't remember what these maps were called. They're like a initially looked like the Encyclopedia Britannica. And I and I finally found it at about 2:30 in the morning. And it was, it must be, it was pitch black. And I was trying to there was a writer who lived in Silver Lake. Oh and I remember gosh. cursing this place, Silver Lake Lake, because and then I finally got back home at four in the morning and then I had to be back, back at work at six. And I was all, I remember Silver Lake. Sorry. I'm sure the place is lovely, so I don't hate <laughs> as a, but I have a bad memory of Silver Lake. Sorry, I am so yeah. sorry. I've heard the name Silver Lake. I apologize. Where is Silver Lake? Is it's, it? it's East Side, kind of by Eagle Rock. It's very it? trendy, hip, and ve- a lot of hills. So I imagine you getting stuck on a hill. Um, I was and- driving around, and there were <laughs> no signposts, and and I I just remember Silver Lake, and I couldn't see a wow. lake. There, yeah. it is. It is definitely you have to know where to look. Okay. Wow, I just really just dug up some trauma for you. Yes, um, there you go. Well, now yeah. you're all your name is all over Silver Lake, and I'll give you because I know we're at time. I'll give you the three okay. things that Argyle reminds me of. It reminds me of British. It it reminds me of my stepdad who's British because oh. he always wears Argyle, and oh. that works. Is that sort I of hope, by design? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then looking at the poster. I w- because I did not see the trailer before I saw the poster. And then, of course, I saw the trailer and then the film. I was like, oh, this is expansive. This is like an expansive world. Wow. And you didn't... And so that's interesting. So the poster drove you to the trailer. Mm-hmm. That's Good to know. Good yeah. to know. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. Congratulations on the film. And so thank I've you been, for taking what? us... I've been told by a marketing extraordinaire genius to call it Honeymoon Delayed. Honeymoon delayed. Yeah, start with honeymoon because when anyone Google's honeymoon, they're going to find your truth. <gasps> oh my gosh. Brilliant. This is gold. Thank you guys so much. I All really right. appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you. I, I love Matthew's energy in that interview. I, I just felt like so much of what we do in this business, you have to have passion for it, right? And just the palpableness of that passion and and the knowledge and also just the eagerness to work with other people. I think it's kind of what sets him apart and really what I admired listening to him. And as people who write scripts, I think, and to people who either are utilizing them and people who don't write scripts, I think the thing that he distilled it all down to is the script. It has to be in the script. If it's not in the script, it's not going to work. And that's just like a lesson that some of us have to learn the hard way, including myself. You've all heard my story about the dog short that started as a couple breaking up and then I recut it from the dog's perspective. It's because the script wasn't working. I'm struggling right now with the first act of my movie. It's because the first act of the script was the roughest part. So the script, the script, the script, branding, branding of your movie is is actually that was very fun and i'm open to any ideas if anyone has ideas for names but at karaoke the other night the cast and crew we were throwing around i love my husband which i think is fun anyway yeah i'm trying to think there's that chris rock movie i think i love my wife oh you i i found out it's like a takeoff of an eric romer 
movie from the 70s, which I I didn't know either. Maybe that might be a different Chris Rock movie. I read a lot of articles, it doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep keep the titles in the high in mind and also fix our first acts when we're writing. Yeah, yeah. It's worth it. Trust me. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining us. You can get more No Film School at nofilmschool.com, including that budget breakdown of The Village. And uh, you can get more No Film School on social media at No Film School. You can like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast across all podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, email me, jason at nofilmschool.com if you have questions for the listeners. You can always find me on Twitter at Jason Hellerman or Instagram at Jason Hellerman as well. Uh, survive the rain, Gigi. Survive. It's rainy LA week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, I'm kind of taking this week off because we got to mostly picture lock and I'm just like so cozy at home, <laughs> puttering around, organizing the kitchen, listening to podcasts. It's wonderful. Enjoy the rain. Enjoy the rain. Yeah, it sounds like it's time to watch some more Matthew Vaughn movies. Yes, exactly. Exactly. See you later. 